all right. Well, we left off um, with Jesus' first miracle that is listed in John chapter 2. The um, Jesus changing the water into wine. Um, it says, as we read, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. I thought before we get going, I would show a two-minute video about Cana. So we saw a little video where that's at. Anna, would you bring that one up? It's under the chrome. There you go. Not that one. According to the Gospel of John, Jesus' first miraculous sign in his ministry took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus was there, probably with his family. His mother, Mary, was certainly there, for it was she who prompted the miracle to take place. At the festivities, they had unfortunately run out of wine. Mary approached Jesus about this, but he told her the time wasn't right. She, in turn, instructed the servants to do whatever he told them to do. Jesus instructed them to fill six large jars with water. The water was turned into wine. 120 to 180 gallons of wine, to be precise. The memorial to this miracle is preserved at the wedding church of Cana. Many renew their vows of marriage at this spot. One can wander the small courtyards to contemplate the beginning of Jesus' miraculous ministry and the way his mother played a role in revealing him. The beautiful interior of the chapel points toward the miraculous activity that happened there two millennia ago. And one can descend below the church to view the remains of earlier chapels and on down to the first century remains of Cana of Galilee. Jesus was in Cana another time when a royal official from Capernaum begged Jesus for healing for his son. Jesus pronounced him healed from Cana, and when the man took him at his word and departed, the boy was healed. The scriptures also tell us that the disciple Nathanael was from Cana. Today, Cana is a Palestinian village just miles from Nazareth, in the heart of the Galilee, where Jesus lived ministered, and changed the course of history. One of these days, right? What a beautiful place that is. All right. Uh, yeah. Anna, can you... Uh, Put my mic back on. Well, okay, there it goes. Well, 
Stop picking me up this. Okay, I'll scoot up. All right. All right, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and go through this passage. We're not going to go through every passage in the life of Jesus. There's just way too much uh, to do an introductory survey, but we can go through his first one. Um, it's an important one. And on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, what does it, your concern have to do with me, woman? That sounds awfully harsh, but that's not what it meant. Um, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, you do it. Now, six stone water jars were set there in accordance with the ceremonial cleansing of the Jews each holding two or three measures. Jesus said to them, fill the water jars with water, and they filled them to the brim, and he said, now draw some out and take it to the head steward. They took it, and when the water, the head steward tasted the water, it had become wine, and they did, and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew the head steward summoned the bridegroom and said to him, everyone, one serves the good wine first, and when they are drunk, the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of the sign of Jesus performed again in Cali and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And there's a lot we could talk about in this. I mean, there's some little things like Mary is probably related to the uh, the bride or uh, or the groom uh, related to the family responsible for overseeing the family's honor in this. But um, um, I think as Jesus is turning the water into the wine, it it alludes to a divine cleansing for all of Israel. Um, the transformed water comes from six stone water jars um, that they would have used to purify themselves. Um, it says they held uh, two to three measures. Um, a measure um, was about 10 gallons. So it was somewhere around 150 gallons worth of water. Um, it's a lot of water. Um, more importantly, uh, John is, uh, his, his numbers, um, six jars with two or three measures. Six multiplied by two is uh, 12. And we should recognize this number as an important number, shouldn't we? What does 12 represent? The apostles, but more importantly, why did Jesus choose 12 apostles? The 12 tribes, all of Israel, all of Israel. Um, so all of, all of Judaism, the 12 tribes, this is, you know, this is representing this purification of Israel. And then, but also if it's six times three, uh, six times three is what? 18, there you go, 18. Um, in... Um, 
Well, passages like First Esdras, which is not in our scriptures, that would have been something they would have been familiar with at the time, though. Uh, Luke 13, um, and later rabbinic numerical si- uh, system, um, which I don't get into a lot, but um, the word for life in the numerical system, uh, and when you add it up, it equals 18. Um, and, and, and John would have been familiar with this way of thinking. Um, I don't know if he, how much he puts into his works. I kind of argue against overdoing this. Uh, some people go way too big on this. But I do think John would have been at least familiar with this as he lists this number, 18, um, to show um, that he has come to purify Israel and offer life. I think John, in his writing, is offering this right at the beginning. Um, it also um, echoes a prophecy which is in the book of Joel, uh, Joel, Joel, which, um, uh, which details the abundance of wine and purifying waters in the Messianic age. Um, it says, In that day the mountains shall drip with wine, and stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. Um, skip a little bit. And spring shall come forth from the house of the Lord. That's uh, Joel three eighteen, and surrounding areas. Um, but it's also in uh, Hebrews four eighteen, Amos nine thirteen. Um, he's interested in the life giving Jesus that he's going to emphasize, like with the woman at the well, with the uh, you know throughout John is writing throughout his books. Um, so I think this is, it's to show right from the beginning, he's, he's got this goal in mind and I like it. He's also, as we read his first ministry is, um, turning water into wine. What's one of the last things he does? Yeah, he hands them the wine. So you're looking at this framework that's within the scriptures that begin with wine and ends with the blood that is the, the cup that, of wine that is the blood of Jesus Christ. You're seeing this framework that's inside the scriptures that they're writing into it. That uh, um, and um, the work of Jesus it kind of begins and ends his earthly ministry with the cup. Uh, so I think that's kind of cool. As I, I look at this, I see this This is something that, uh, um, that we definitely, um, I think they did on purpose. I mean, I, I, w- I would not say that John did not do this on purpose. Mm-hmm. Very strong emphasis, yeah. So we have to we have to say that this is done on purpose, and um, and it gives us a, a kind of a a glimpse of how we should be reading this whole book, right? This whole thing is, you know, it's about the life giver, the purifier, um, who's come. It's given us a, a how are we supposed to be reading Jesus? Um. 
you know, forgive me, I don't remember what my next slide is. Uh, yeah, there we go. Ah, there's a map. The Galilean ministry. So after Jesus begins his, he begins his first miracle, he moves to his what we call his Galilean um, ministry. That means ministry that takes place in the area of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And so it takes place in this area surrounding Galilee. That makes sense, right? There are uh, more than 70 events recorded during this roughly year and a half. Um, um, we often refer to this, if you read books, you often hear this referred to as years of, his year of popularity. This is when people like him before they start turning against him. More life than we need. That's that's very true. He provides it. Um, so after he arrives in Galilee, um, you know he actually arrives after John the Baptist imprisonment, and uh, he begins to proclaim and to teach in the synagogues of Galilee. Announced in his hometown that he is the Messiah, which is Nazareth. I wonder how that went over. Probably not. I mean, yeah, I mean, there were probably some that believed. There obviously seems to be some that believed. But we seem to be, uh, but, you know, the Bible says, you know, a prophet's not accepted in his home, in his own. That's, um, as we read through this, though, and we're not going to read through it, but as you read through it, Remember that the Bible makes no attempt to record every healing, every miracle, every word that Jesus said. That is not what its goal is. This isn't a journal. It isn't like someone followed him around with a TV camera to record everything he did. Its point was to show, um, you know, well, each author had their own points that they were trying to make and they emphasized on the healings and on the the miracles that focused on their point and the messiahhood so we we take joy in what he's done but we we must realize this is not everything he did in that whole year um as you look through this section you're going to see Jesus heal lameness, paralysis, leprosy, fever, deformity, muteness, hemorrhaging, bleeding, bleeding of some sort, blindness, and many more. Um, he's going to raise the dead. He's going to show power over the disease. He's going to command the, the seas to stop, to cease... Um, 
during this time, he seems to have the goal of reaching all of Galilee with the good news of the kingdom of God. And he even doesn't just go himself. He sends his disciples too. I think sometimes we forget that, right? His disciples were actually working too. They studied under him and then he sent them out. Uh, he sent them out so where he's not able to go personally. He sends out his disciples, including Judas. He was a disciple too. He was sent out to go do things. He trains his followers for what's to come. He sets the example. Um, and sends them on preaching missions. He, he endows them with his power and authority and teaches them things they would need to know. He's getting them ready during this period for the hard times to come. And then what happens afterwards? Because he knows that his time is only a short time. Yeah, well, he's a good disciple maker. He sees what's going on and he doesn't just say, he doesn't just tell them what to do. He sends them out to do things. And them being good students would go. Not just say, well, Jesus. Nah, I'm, I'm good. You, why don't you send someone else? I'm good just sitting here. Um, that's not what Jesus would have, well, they would have done. They would have gone when he sends them. Um, oh, here we go. Here's a map um, where we see him operating literally just around the Sea of Galilee where they would have been familiar with their, as they're being trained as disciples. How many of them were fishermen, right? This is where they would have fished. They would have been familiar with this territory. They would have been comfortable. And so they're working in the areas they feel comfortable as they build their confidence. And we're going to see um, this, this lake of the um, uh, Sea of Tiberias or the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, number one is where he calms this, a storm from the boat. Remember that one? That is actually a great story. I love that story. It reminds me of Jonah so much. Um, The sign of Jonah is something we have to remember. It's not just the three days and three nights we need to focus on when we think about Jonah. We also think about the, the, the restoration and the time that he went to Sheol, the, the pit. And there's the resurrection theme that's in the sign of Jonah. Um, as Jonah, it says in chapter 2 that he, he cries out from the pit of Sheol. And there's that whole being raised again after... Uh, there's 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 a whole restoration image there in Jonah. So, uh, but uh, but if you remember in the book of Jonah, Jonah goes down and he has to throw himself into the sea because the storm's going. And here you have this storm come up, and Jesus is doing exactly like Jonah did. He's asleep on the boat, but 
Jesus doesn't have to throw himself in. He just commands the storm. He's already where he's supposed to be. He commands, takes control over it. And, um, and we've already talked some about how Jesus shows his dominion over the world. Um, but I love that story. Um, anyways, two up there is where he would send demons into the swine. And that's where he uh, cast out the demons. Um, yeah, the two right there. Um, three is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, then right after that, if you remember right after that, he, he, he does this whole thing where he goes off in the mountains by himself and then they go out in the boat and then he decides to catch up with them. Um, and, and just jogs out by himself. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, it's all right. You guys don't have to come back. I'll come to you. Um, <laughs> um, and so um, walking on water, and, and of course, Peter, we love Peter, right? I'm going out there with you, Jesus, until I catch up. My brain catches up with what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, start to look around. Uh, I don't know if, uh, yeah, and then he starts to sink. Jesus rescues him. Um, let's see. Um, five would be the feeding of the 4,000 men. Um, and um, six over here is the traditional location of the Sermon on the Mount. I say traditional location because we're only pretty sure that's where it took place. Uh, On that mountain there, it's got a good amplification. He could have preached very well there. That's the traditional site. But there are some people that argue against that location. But isn't that the way it works with anything? It's not like they put up road maps. And here's where Jesus... Uh, <laughs> yeah, they don't put up historical lawn marks. Um, they didn't have GPS back then. Not like we could go to his his uh, his phone and backtrack him and say where he was at. Um, even though that'd be kind of cool, right? Um, but um, no. Uh, so as we go through, uh, as you go through the, the years of um, his Galilean mission, you're going to have some of your uh, most famous things. People love this section. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is an all-time favorite of how many people. It's a great passage to go through. Um, the Beatitudes, I mean, um, you, uh, the Sermon on the Mount um, found in the book of Matthew. We've already talked a little bit about that one. Um, Parables on the kingdom of heaven, miracles. Um, And if you look on that piece of paper I give you, you're going to see a list of the first year and a half, Jesus, the year of preparation, or this is the year of, uh, of popularity. And it's going to go all the way through the backside of that. And you can read through some of the different stories on there, and some of you will be like, that's the one I really like, right? You're going to have those favorites that we have. Um, And that's cool. I'm glad you guys have your favorites. Um, John actually doesn't spend a whole lot of time in, if you notice his, uh, on John, 
his Galilean ministry section is 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 pretty slim <laughs> um, because it's not really part of his his main focus. I, I see some of you searching for your things. Um, um, but um, by the time we get into that third year of ministry. That's where we get to the years of opposition. The years of um, uh, where he's starting to, he's been causing troubles, I guess, too much. And uh, um, Not that say he wasn't opposed before this. There are instances where if you go back that first year, you'll see some, some moments where some of the people uh, argued against him and whatnot. But um, this is where he, he begins to strongly be opposed with the, the, uh, the, the Jewish leadership. Um, it's the time that he's outside of Galilee is when he really starts. Inside of Galilee, he's really liked. Um, outside of Galilee, when he starts going into like Jerusalem and Samaria, and uh, he starts having some more issues. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know, I have that one on there twice. We've already seen that one. Um, we're not there yet. So we'll, we'll just leave it on that one. All right. Um, but um, as we think about his opposition, why do you think Jewish leaders opposed him so fiercely, I guess, would be? Afraid of him? Okay, that's definitely a, a one that could be, uh, um, but fear is usually a secondary, uh, I mean, so you say maybe um, a secondary emotion, what, what, what in your mind, I, I, I can see why you'd say fear, but why would you think they're afraid of him? Okay, so I'm hearing... Okay, so more of a, a heresy thing. Okay, so heresy. The upset the Romans. Okay, that'd be a good one too. Jealousy. That'd be a good one. Um, I came up with a few myself. Um, I have about twelve here. Um, some of them we've already mentioned. Uh, well, jealousy. Um, he was. Um, readily accepted by the common people. And that would have caused him to be kind of that jealous political power. Um, people in political power don't like to share. Um, that's true today as much as it was then. Um, his authority, he did teach with authority that he says supersedes their own. And his miracles seem to prove it. Um, he does, I, I, I wrote down perceived recklessness. Um, he made messianic claims which the Roman rulers might interpret as um, treacherous. I mean, you know, as, as treason. Um, 
liberal attitudes, and I don't mean liberal in the same sense we mean liberal today. Liberal attitudes means anything that's not... Um, See, that's why I don't really like the terms right and left and, and you know, liberal is anything that's not fits into the, 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 the mold at that time. It's so fluid that we can't really, you know, you can't just say liberal or right and left because what was right today is left tomorrow. You know, um, liberal in this case means that he, he simplified the law and rejected some established customs. Um, five, uh, social practices. He will be, um, hanging out with the wrong kind of people, um, which will put him at odds with the, uh, Jewish leadership. Um, six, I wrote this one down, uh, he lacked rabbinic education. And I say this because if we look at the scriptures, he never shows that he was taught himself by a recognized teacher. Um, in other words, he wasn't a seminary student. No formal. And like I said, obviously he would trained well. I mean, they were, they were amazed by him teaching at the, at the temple. And he has some kind of education. But if there was a formal teacher like Paul tells you who his, his formal rabbi was. Uh, that was custom at the time. Jesus does not seem to have one that we can like recognize as this is your, the name teacher. Um, and so that would have been um, seen as a negative uh, against that. For these Jewish leaders who had all been, they all had their PhDs. Um, and you're going in and you have this, you know, this guy who doesn't have his degree yet. That's going to cause a problem. And trust me, I've been around enough educated people. This causes problems. <laughs> um, that does not mean that Jesus was not taught. I mean, he does seem to have a great knowledge and, um, you know, learn to read and write. and You know, but he would not have that formal recognition of a teacher, um, especially if his um, parenthood was ever in question. I mean, if she was saying it, I mean, Joseph is the father, or is he? They wouldn't have allowed him into a lot of that rabbinic teaching. Um, um, seven, um, I think they didn't like him some because he embarrassed them. I mean, he calls them out. Um, and who in this room says, I look forward to someone calling me out? Uh, in reality, most of us are like, I hate that. Even if you're right, <laughs> I don't want it. Um, and they, they, he publicly contradicted them. Um, I think um, another reason, number eight, I wrote down his power. Um, he did miracles that they weren't able to do. And as... Uh, the teachers of the law, and the, you know, they've been trying to do these things. They hear of old prophets being able to do the same things, and they've been praying to be able to do these same things. And, and here comes a guy who actually can, and they're like, we want that too. And so there's some jealousy there. Um, their political fears. Um, 
he was actually rather neutral against Roman rule. Uh, in many cases, he seems to be saying that, hey, if you don't follow my way, then the Romans will come and destroy you. And they're thinking, well, if we do follow your ways, then the Romans will come and destroy us. And uh, it turns out that if they don't follow them, the Romans come and destroy them, and they do in A.D. 70. Um, what? Financial, there's definitely a financial issue there. Um, you know, he, he throws up the, the money changers who are making some... Now, that wouldn't have necessarily been the Jewish leaders uh, directly, but uh, it, I suspect, though I don't have any proof of this, they might have been receiving some kickbacks on that one. Um, you know, Sadducees, uh, the, the high priest at the time was a Sadducee, which means they were very wealthy. Um, I wonder if some of the reason that stuff was allowed to go on in the temple was because they were receiving the kickbacks. <laughs> um, I mean, how many churches have been laid low because they got focused on the money? Um, what else could we say? Uh, his knowledge. Uh, he defeats them on many occasions. How does he defeat them? Using the scriptures. Um, uneducated man beating his PhD by using their book. Um, and, you know, and his pop, just as flat out his popularity, I think, would have caused some opposition. You know, people are traveling all over to see him, and they're like, you know, we're afraid that this man is a heretic, you know. Uh, he's saying things like he is God. And that would have thrown people, um, them into a place where they, and, you know, we, we, we like to judge them, but I think too, more often than not, we would be the, the, the religious leaders. We'd be the ones, um, because we're, we're entrenched in our faith right now. We're entrenched in our religious practices. And so if God was to bring something new, it would, or, you know, or change the way. We, often, even if we do realize that God is changing the way we personally think, how long does it take us to get them around when we like reading the scripture? You see something, you're like, wait, does that really mean that? How long does it take us to come around to saying, oh, well, I think that really is the way what the scriptures are actually saying. And uh, we don't like that. We, we like, you know, this is the way I was taught since I was nine, and this is the way it will be when I'm dead. Uh, and there's some very good things about that, but sometimes we, we you know, the scripture might be not saying what we thought it was saying, you know? Um, um, well, yeah, they, they do refuse a kingship over him, but uh, his messiahship and his kingship. Uh, but a lot of them, I've got to remember that a lot of them were wanting a physical messiah, not a... a um, now, that doesn't mean they weren't looking for... There were several of them looking for a spiritual Messiah. Otherwise, they wouldn't have followed him. There's a lot of them following him because they're exactly what they thought was coming. But then there was a great deal of them, especially in the leadership, that just wanted the Romans off their back. <laughs> and they were looking for more of that physical stuff. And obviously, when Peter picks up his sword, he thinks, that, you know, he's, he's still wondering, hey, are we going to do this or not? Uh, 
you know? Um, hey, they're coming. Let's go ahead and, and start this revolution now. Um, notice he picks on the Roman when he cuts off the ear. It's not, uh, it's not the Judeans are coming with him. It's not the high priest he goes after. He goes after the Roman. Um, let's get these Romans going. I mean, so there's still this both of this going on. So, um, so they were like, yeah, so refusing his messiahship. They were also refusing him as a king. Um, but it's because they were really, uh, a lot of them, not all of them, several of them, that's what, exactly what they were looking for, uh, were refusing. He's not going to be the king they were looking for. Um Yeah, there was a parable about that. Uh, we're not going to let this guy rule over us. Um, where are we? Okay, we have enough time to do this. Um, about the time of AD 29 or so, um, Jesus knows that the time has arrived for him to finally go to Jerusalem. Now, if you look at the scriptures, he, he kind of goes into Jerusalem for like the high feast and stuff like that, but he kind of avoids it as well. He spends most of his time outside of Jerusalem. He doesn't want to do a lot of his stuff in Jerusalem. Um, but in around AD 29, he's going for the purpose of his death, you know, um, and he goes at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And he, um, if you read uh, the scriptures, he's actually, like, they want to stone him in some of this when he's teaching. You know, they're, they're ready to stone him. Which, remember, stoning is not just they're mad at him. Stoning was the, 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 the way of, per, uh, of killing someone they thought was a heretic or, or blaspheming God. That's why they were doing it. Um, they want to keep it clear. Um, Jesus and his disciples actually will actually end up leaving the Jordan to stay um, near where John the Baptist uh, will please and people will come to him. That's about the time that Lazarus is taken ill. Yeah, you know, it does. It seems like he, he gets away, just like kind of Paul does. I want to see Paul and Peter. Um, they kind of, they, you know, they get close. I mean, Paul, we just talked about on Sunday, right? Paul's uh, stoned, left for dead. Um, it's, you know, and Jesus kind of has the same kind of thing. It's, it's getting close, but it's not yet there yet. We're not yet ready for that. And so he backs off and... Um, you know, and, but it's, and, and they, they, you know, Jesus does lie, uh, does live. Um, um, Lazarus. That's a, that's a one of our favorite stories, isn't it? Um, I like that one. Um, that would be um, found in John chapter. Uh, what is that? Eleven. Um, you know, after he's done so much, I mean, we have so many parables that he's told in Luke and in, in Matthew, and 
uh, you know, and, and then we have this moment where he, he raises Lazarus from the dead, you know. Lazarus has been dead and buried for, um, you know, what, four days? I mean, that's, that's dead. That's not, just, uh, that's not just mostly dead. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no pill that you can put in his mouth and blow it with a, a bellows. You know, that's, uh, he's, he's all the way dead. You know, this is the actual one. Yeah, we have all these parables, but this one is shown that this was an actual event. I mean, there's some other ones that you can say, well, is this an actual event or a parable? And we can argue, but this one reads, it's an actual event. He, um, you know, Mary and Martha, who he's very close to the family. Jesus is very close to the family. Um, Lazarus is, you know, Lazarus, their brother's taken ill and, and they send a message to Jesus, and he delays two days. Um, which is interesting because it's like he knows what's going to happen. Uh, he has a purpose in mind because we've seen him already in the scriptures heal someone by just saying, you know, go on home. They're, they're all better. And here he is, Jesus, like, no. I'm going to wait two days. And I'm going to weep. Um, and uh, Jesus will will come, and he'll he'll raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, when I was in in college, this young lady uh, passed away. Uh, wonderful young lady of Christ, um, and uh, a lot of people liked her. Um, and she died of malaria, um, but um, when she passed away, um, there was a large group of people that went to the funeral home and were vocally praying for God to raise her from the dead, commanding her to get up, um, because they were they were so upset and torn up about this and. Um, I, I looked at one of them and I said, why in the world would you ask her to come back from paradise? Um, she's already where she needs to be. Um, but they were dead set. They, um, she, they were going to raise her from the dead. Uh, Star can attest to this. She remembers that event. Um, but uh, it didn't happen. Um, God left her in paradise. <laughs> um, but they quoted this passage. You'll be able to raise, you know, they talked about how you'll be able to raise the, the, the dead and um, we have power and authority in Jesus. And um, You know, they were just hurting. I have not. Oh, that 90 minutes in heaven? Yeah. Um, I try to stay away from a lot of those books. Um, 
they can be uplifting in ways, but so many of them are so, um, and I'm not saying this one is, I, I'm not, like I said, I've not read it. Um, so many of them are so fake that I try not to, I just kind of, they've given me a bad taste in my mouth, so I tend not to read any of them. Um, like I said, I don't, I've not read that one, so I don't know, I don't know anything about it, but I just know that um, I stay away from all of it. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to read any of it. <laughs> Um, I'd rather read something I know is by a sinner and, uh, you know, I know exactly what they're going to talk about sending stuff because, you know, than someone who's trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes that, you know, at least, you know, in my, in, in my opinion, you know, if you read something that's fictional or, you know, it's written by a, a, a sinner, you know, you know, then you, you know, they're not trying to deceive you. They just, they write a book. You know, but it bothers me when a, when someone who's claiming Christ tries to deceive you. So I try to stay away from all those books. It's kind of like, uh, um, so no, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Though I have seen it. I think we have it in the library in the church. Um, anyways, you guys remember what happened uh, after they raised Lazarus? <laughs> they ate. Um, there's a lot of eating in the book of John. Um, uh, there is a lot of eating. Go read the book of John and just pay attention to eating. There's a lot of eating in the book of John. He likes to talk about food. Um, but uh, no, they, um, the eyewitness reports go make it back to the Sanhedrin. Remember that Sanhedrin's that Jewish leadership, and they plot to kill him. Um, and Jesus actually has to secretly travel with his disciples to Ephraim. Um, after he raises some from the dead. And, um, and um, then what happens? Um, you know, Jesus predicts his own death. Um, um Ah, the wonderful story of Zacchaeus comes to play. Hmm. That's one of those we all learn as a little kid, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little was he, right? Um, Zacchaeus, um, Luke records that one as he's passing through. What city was was he passing through when when uh, when uh, Zacchaeus? Jericho. Jericho. That's right, Jericho. Um, on his way out to Jericho, followed by a large cloud, um, you know, uh, he heals um, Bartimaeus there in Jericho as well. Um, and then what happens? Um, we're going to skip his parables, just because you guys can read them on his, on your own. Um, let me put this back where it belongs before I lose it. My papers are all getting all fluffered. Then he heads back towards Jerusalem, and He's heading back for the Passover in around the year 30-ish, 
and um, he has two of his donkeys. He, he goes to the Mount of Olives and he has two of his um, two of his disciples um, go out and collect a donkey as arranged. Um, and he rides in on a donkey to Jerusalem. And we call this Palm Sunday. This is when he rides in, uh, recorded in um, uh, John as well, uh, John chapter 12, um, that uh, he rides in and they they they. they they shriek, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a, um, an exclamation of, of, of glory. Um, and um, and uh, he, they, people tell him to, to quiet them down, right? There's no parade. You don't have a parade permit. And, um, and he says, well, if they don't do it, the rocks are going to cry out which is one of my favorite lines in all of scriptures. Um, if they don't do it, the rocks are going to do it. And, um, and they welcome him in as the Messiah. So a lot of people, apparently, you know, a lot of times we think they're not, you know, Jesus is not the Messiah they were looking for. Well, apparently he was enough of a Messiah that a lot of them were. Uh, now remember, he's not the only one claiming to be a Messiah at this time. There's been several. Uh, Book of Acts even talks about that. You remember how in one of the sermons I talked about how they killed all these other messiahs and once they were dead, they, you know, everything went back to normal. Well, their disciples aren't, so something must have happened. And um, and um, so anyway, so uh, he rides in on Palm Sunday. Um, And um, let's see. I'm trying to remember what this map is. Uh, yeah, map Mount of Olives is where he is. Um, he's going to ride into Jerusalem. He's going to ride back out, and then the next day he's going to go to Solomon's porch. Um, which, if you're not familiar with um, uh, temple at the time, um, the main temple is here. But Solomon's porch was the area where everyone could go. Um, it was the outer courtyards of the temple. And this is the area where they would have been trading money for money. Um, the idea here is that um, if you were going to give your tithe to the church, you couldn't just write them a check or give cash. You had to use temple money. So you had to get an exchange before you could get uh, you, before you could buy your doves or your goats to make your sacrifice. You had to use temple money before you could put your so you'd have to go exchange the normal money for temple money, and uh, then people that are controlling the temple money have an extra, uh, a huge exchange rate. Um, 
And this is the people that Jesus drives out. Because he's not against their making sacrifices. Even that's what, even when he says, you know, whose face is on that coin? Give to God what is God and give to Caesar's whatever. Because they had a, a coin that was temple money. You know, give to God what's God's. But he's not against necessarily that. He's, a, he's against the, they're ripping people off. It's dishonesty, this, 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 this brokenness that's going on in the temple. Uh, they're making um, a fortune, ripping people off. You know, that's sad. How about we see that in actual churches? I see this all the time. We, we pay attention. You know. uh, what about them prayer rugs that were going around a long time ago? Uh, you mail me this, your check. And I'm going to send you a prayer rug that turned out to be a piece of paper. You guys, you guys see that one around on the news? And they sent you a piece of paper, and it was supposed to be blessed. And you pray on it, and you were going to be ble- and it was going to bless you. Uh, miracle water, that's another one. Uh, you know, the hair tonic. Um, <laughs> uh, snake oil. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and it was going on back then. Uh, unfortunately, it works its way into the temple. Um, and, you know, I've been, I, I've been, um, I stopped listening to a pastor one time. I was watching, listening to his podcast. I'm not going to say which one it was. Um, but I stopped listening to him when I was listening to him talk about how he, he and his team were going through um, the tithes that the, the people were given to let them know whether or not they were given or were actually giving their 10% or not. Um, you know, based on their um, uh, gross income, not their net income. Um, and um, I was like, whoa, I, I, can't, I can't do this. <laughs> Um, you know, if you ask me a lot, you know, one of the first things people ask me, you know, like if someone comes to me and says my life just doesn't seem in order, I don't see like, you know, one of the first things I want to ask you is about your tithe because, you know, where we put our money at, that's where our, our, our heart is. And so I'm going to ask you about your tithe. You come and ask me these questions. But, you know, doing that kind of stuff is just, you know, it's just wrong. Um, and... Um, and, and, and we see, even today, we see this kind of stuff going on in churches, and it's, it's a shame. Um, but, and so Jesus drives them out. Now, uh, big argument, is this the first or second time he's done this? Remember, John's already had it. Way back there at the beginning. And so there's a big, big argument. Did John just put it at the beginning because... That's the way he was writing a story, or did he do this twice? Um, yeah, there's no way of really knowing. It's not like we were there. <laughs> um, we do know that the three synoptic gospels put it here at the last week of his. Uh, only John puts it early on. So. Um, so we can say that. We know three of them agree it happened this week. 
Okay. Um, all right. Well, we're out of time. Um, how much more do we got left? We got Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and I don't want to cover some of his preaching and teaching. So we'll get through Jesus' life next week, I think. I always say, I think, because because you guys know me. Uh, <laughs> but I think we'll get through Jesus' life, uh, the, the Gospels, and then we'll move on to the book of Acts, which we're preaching through. So some of this will be duplicate, some of it will be sneak peeks of thing to come. But, um, but then we'll talk about the letters of, uh, of the Bible. So um, anyways... Uh, any questions, comments, concerns? All right, let's pray ourselves out. Father God, we praise you today, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful blessings. We ask that you just speak to our hearts. Uh, help us to uh, focus on you and see you. Um, help our faith to grow strong. As we read the scriptures, as we plant the seeds, as we tend to them. Um, Help us to just see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.